Welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Hey, it's Friday, and I'm so happy that everybody's okay. We just had a whopper storm come through the Northeast. It seems like it's just about gone now. But, you know, a lot of people leave their dogs outside, believe it or not, especially in the good weather, and they don't think about the fact that if your dog happens to be outside and you get a good thunder boomer going on there, you may be creating a situation for your dog that your dog starts becoming terrified of thunderstorms. You do not want to go that direction. What do you do when your dog is afraid of a thunderstorm or loud noises or grinding? Well, why do typically dogs not like or react to growly grinding sounds like garbage disposals, lawnmowers, things like that? Why is that? Because they sound like an animal growling. And if your dog thinks that his job is to provide for your needs and protect you, that growling represents a wild animal who has come to kill you, take you out, take your family out, and not for Denny's or not for ice cream, but take you out at the knees and kill you. So your dog is just reacting to what he perceives as that grinding, growly noise. Now, when you start bouncing around with barometric pressure, that's a little different. But we know a lot of people get really bad headaches when you have barometric pressure changes or other health concerns. And your dog can actually have sometimes a physical reaction to uh, very rapidly moving, like tornadic activity. They can feel that. They can feel, they can sense that barometric pressure dropping. And uh, as my dogs play with their toys, because I let my dogs play, because they're more of a priority than anyone or anything in the world. Hey, Azari, how you doing, baby girl? Um, I just got my girls in from outside because it's going to start storming again. Don't leave your dog outside and leave for work or leave on a weekend. If you think, especially when we start getting into this weather where we're going to have like tomorrow, New Jersey is going to be 90 going to be 93 on Sunday. You know, you can kind of expect there may be a thunderstorm, especially coming into June, July, August, even September, where we get this crazy weather patterns, and especially with everything going on now with the weather. Um, you know, I guess it's caused by a Lysol spray bottle top because everybody, uh, you know, is just destroying. The, there's a giant hole in the ozone layer. It's actually not a hole. It's thinning, and it's, you know, one good volcano is, uh, is enough to destroy a whole lot of, uh, especially the sulfur in it, a whole lot of uh, the ozone layer. So we can't really blame humans for everything. We can blame them for a bunch of stuff, but I don't know about that. So anyway, back to tornadic activity, thunderstorm activity, or just the elements in general, uh, flies, fleas, ticks, bugs. Make sure that your dog has not just a place out of the sun, because obviously that's important, but a place out of the rain, a place out of the elements. The, what I think is a great idea for a lot of people, if you have a setup, it's very easy to have a doggy door. And then if your dog is trustworthy, have your doggy door coming out from a mudroom or something so that if you don't want your dog destroying your you know, $40,000 uh, Persian rug, hey, I understand that. I mean, personally, I don't have... $40,000 Persian rugs down because my dogs are more important than my hardwood floors or my house or anything in it. But, you know, I get it. I get it. So 
it's always a great idea if you push um, kind of toward the having a section of the house. And you can generally, if you have a door or an access, you can actually even put it through the wall. Believe it or not, it's really not that hard to put a doggy door actually into the wall, especially if you have a newer house that's just, you know, basically plywood and on the outside with some siding and on the inside maybe some sheetrock. It's really not that hard to do, and you can have a contractor or even a handyman probably do it. But having access for your dog not only for shelter but for clean water that doesn't have bug larvae in it, that's a great idea. You can actually have a doggy door, and that will keep your dog safe, and if he gets too hot or too cold, he can run in or run out. But please be careful because I see a lot of people, especially down south, Midwest, who say, oh, look, the weather's great. I'm going to leave my dog out so he can run and play all day. Well, just imagine if you were outside and all day long and there's bugs, there's mosquitoes, there's fleas, there's ticks, there's flies, a lot of biting flies. There's all kinds of crazy things. Or they could get into something or eat something or an animal can wander into your yard or dig into your yard or over your fence. Your dog could pick that particular day, even though he's never done it before. My dog's never done that before, but he did now, and that's why I'm sitting in your living room right now helping you because your dog just bit somebody. He never bit anybody until yesterday, but last night he bit somebody. Same thing. Your dog may pick that day, that time to try to burrow under a fence. There might be some little girl in heat. Or there might be an animal and he wants to chase it or he jumps it or tries to go under it or gets caught in it. And this is also why you should never, ever leave your dog unattended with a leash or collar or anything that can be caught on anything from a fence to a chair to a a refrigerator. I have a great story about my Merlin, who was a 1300 plus pound, gorgeous, magnificent Lipizzan stallion. I mean, gorgeous, off gorgeous, off gorgeous, with a three and a half foot long mane and a tail that dragged on the ground. And he was silver white. He was the most gorgeous horse anybody's ever seen. And I was walking Merlin one day and I knew there had been storms and I was walking him. I just had his saddle on, his bridle on. We were walking and we happened to walk past uh, a narrow area And all of a sudden, I thought the building was going to collapse. And we had just had a nearby very fancy stable where the roof had caved in a couple of weeks prior. Well, I heard this grinding, loud, horrible, horrible sound. It was like I remember just echoing. And I heard it, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, we better get out of here. The ceiling's going to come down. The roof is going to come down on us. Let's go, Merlin. And I made him go a little bit faster, walking a little more briskly, and it was louder, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's coming down. Let's go. And then I thought, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like it. I I think the ceiling would have collapsed already. It doesn't sound like metal. It sounds like metal on, like, a hard surface, but not metal on metal. And we stopped for a moment, and there was nothing. And I said, all right, let's go. Grinding, grinding, grinding. Heard the noise again. It's terrible. Stopped. The noise stopped. I tried it a third time. Grinding, grinding, grinding. I stopped. I said, all right, what's going on here? And I look over, and Merlin was just massive. And we used to call him the refrigerator, his nickname, because he was a big, giant white thing. And on his right, because I was leading him, he was on my right, I was on his left. To his right, 
his the knee roll on my dressage saddle, which is a very, very elegant type of uh, horseback riding that dressage means. Um, it, it's like excellence. It's dressage means um, riding in a very controlled manner. Um, it's a French type of riding, and it's in the Olympics and all. So that's the type of riding I do. Well, the knee roll of Merlin's saddle had gotten caught on, believe it or not, the handle of the large refrigerator that we had at the stable that had been sticking out a little bit, and the knee roll caught on it, and he was so big and strong that he literally pulled a 400-pound giant refrigerator with him about 15 or 20 feet into the middle of the aisle. So it was kind of a funny thing. So his nickname had been the refrigerator. Now it was really the refrigerator. Why do I tell you that? Can you imagine if he had been running around and had had a saddle on or a bridle on and had caught himself on it? Now, he was like Wyatt and like my dogs are. He was the most calm and very stable. He was a stallion, magnificent. So he was super stable. But if you tried that with your average, oh, I don't know, thoroughbred or Arabian, which I love on my Arabs. I have my Arab, Arab still to this day. Um, not Arab humans, Arab horses. Um, and, you know, I look at that and I learned a big lesson from that. And that was, you know, more than a couple of years ago. So you have to be very careful because assume that just like a two-year-old can drown in a bucket of two inches or three inches of water because the child or the baby falls into it and can't get out of it, so can an animal literally be killed or burn your house down also if they knock over something. Remember Mrs. O'Leary's cow? Those of you who don't, look it up. It's this historical story. Um, the idea being that you have to be careful and you have to think outside of your own limits, not outside the box, but outside what you would assume is okay. Because the great thing about animals and our babies and our dogs is our dogs they don't really ever grow up, grow up, right? They stay young for a long time, which is what we love. So you have a five or six or seven or eight or nine-year-old dog. It's still got a puppy energy. My Kayla, she's, I think, 11. She's still got a puppy energy. You let her out, she will tear around with, you know, a, a six-month-old puppy, and she will outrun him. So dogs are great because they have that energy. But we also have to remember not all dogs are... A, intelligent, B, going to watch out for themselves, and C, going to do what you hope they're going to do. There are items that you can purchase, things like uh, dog cameras, and you don't even have to go buy one, although my, my daughter Shauna bought me one. Um, I love her to death, and it's fun to watch what the dogs are doing. Mine are generally just laying there doing nothing, but it is fun if you have a litter of puppies or if you have you know, an older dog that you can keep an eye on them, and they have infrared cameras and all kinds of things. But even if you have an old cell phone, you can actually hook that up with an app where you can just put that there, and you can watch your dog from pretty much anywhere. Now, why is that handy? Because let's say you forgot, like my father always, when my brother, my mom, and I used to leave for Florida every December to January, my probably... 50% of the time, we had to turn around when we got on Route 4. We'd have to turn around because either my mom or my dad was like, did you check to make sure the stove was off? Hmm, I think so. 
I think so. I think so. I think so. Did anyone use a stove? I don't know. Well, guess what? We'd turn around. We'd drive home. Okay. They'd go in. Of course, they had turned the stove off. They were so careful. They were the best parents in the world. Best parents in the world. They never forgot. They never made mistakes like that. But that's why they didn't make mistakes, because they were double and triple checking. Now, when you guys leave, especially if you're leaving, you're late for work, if you have a camera on for your dog, it's not for your dog to watch you, but that you can look and you can say, oh, my gosh, he's... You know, he's running around like crazy or, oh, my gosh, he's panting. Have somebody, whether it's a neighbor or a dog walker or somebody, a friend, who if you have a problem and you're working two hours away or there's rush hour traffic or you can't leave because you're, you know, a surgeon or something, if you need to have somebody watching your dog, you have that camera. And, again, you can use an old cell phone. I know because I've done that even. And you have basically as many cameras as you want because you can use the cell phone. And especially if you're not using, you know, one of those people who you have an extra cell phone. I always have an extra cell phone or two. You just hook them up. You're paying for it anyway. And this way you can see what your dog's doing. And if there's a problem, which hopefully there won't be, but if there's a problem, all you have to do is call your neighbor or call whoever it is. Hey, can, you know, my dog got tangled or my dog got caught on whatever. And the third thing or fourth thing, whatever we're on right now, is, and most importantly, do not leave a collar that is not breakable on your dog and do not leave him with a leash on. So what do I mean by don't leave a collar on? Because everyone says, but then if he gets out of the house, how are we going to have an ID tag on him? There are collars that are breakaway. Get yourself an inexpensive leather collar not a rolled one, not a nice one, but a real cheap, like the $1 specials that are kind of barely leather, and you put your tags on that one. Because if your dog is ever running around or gets caught on the the handle of your cabinet, or like I have a big giant uh, Viking stove that's like one of those ginormous things with like six burners and a grill, my handle's on there because it's just, uh, gorgeous, but they're, the handles stick out a little bit. I don't know that the dog could get hurt on it, but I've seen some of these where they can, and they could actually get caught. And what dogs tend to do if they get afraid or if they get tangled, they twist. Well, now they twist, and now whatever collar is on them twists, and now it's way too tight. The same reason that when you're breaking up a dog fight, if one of the dogs has a choker chain, a metal choker chain, you do not stick your hands on that choker chain because if that dog spins, and trust me, I've had this happen to me where I almost had fingers amputated, almost had my hand. I mean, I, I broke my hand or a couple bones in my hand because it was a, a, a Labrador retriever out in a park and a, and a boxer, very sweet dog, was out there and the lab uh, or lab mix. Um, went after this boxer and I grabbed the lab to get it off the boxer and it had a choker chain and I grabbed it with my whole hand and it spun around twice. And let me tell you something, I was going to lose my hand and the dog couldn't breathe. So make sure that you use something that like we use with horses where it's called a fuse, F-U-S-E. It's a little extra piece. You can even do this on your own uh, collars. 
you take an inexpensive, like a cheap piece of leather, even a little thinner than the rest of the collar, and you hook that in so you can either, you know, put um, a clip or you can just have the buckle, have a double buckle. And this way, if the dog does get tangled or it gets caught on something, he doesn't die. And if you have to grab him, you're not going to lose a finger or your hand. So please be careful, especially when you think it's okay to leave your dogs outside. The other thing I want to bring up, which is really important, now we've got a lot of dogs and, and different animals. They're chewing on sticks and branches, and you have the requisite, well, I have 31 deer on my property sometimes, um, and that's a lot. Um, and these deer will basically strip down and the branches and gnaw them down to a point where sometimes if your dog jumps up in the air or your dog is running by, it can impale itself. So do go out wherever your dog is allowed, walk your fence line to make sure that your fence line is secure, that nothing has happened, that no bear or animal came through or whatever it is, or that a tree came down on your uh, fence and that your fence is secure. If you have an invisible fence, be really careful because if that the battery decides to go out that day, your dog is gone and uh, you're not going to even be there to know it. So there are a lot of different things. And also walk your property, walk the perimeter, walk through any places where they're not so much big like maples or things like that or oak trees, but more of pine trees, um, the evergreen trees more than the deciduous that tend to have lower branches and any kind of a, Bush, like uh, I have a bunch of magnolias here. Well, when the dogs play and they eat, you know, they rip off leaves and all that. Now, all of a sudden, there's a sharp edge. And if a dog ever jumps up, and I had it actually happen to my friend, my friend Lisa, uh, with her little schnauzer. Uh, she's in Australia now, but she had her dog actually was running around in her yard, in her own yard, and there was a little wooded area in the middle that she, you know, never really looked at. And she'd been there a couple of years. She'd never really looked at this spot and thought anything of it. Well, this day, apparently, whatever the puppy got into, um, he jumped up and he came down on a metal spike. Figure out why a metal spike is in the middle of a yard. And it went up through his abdomen into his diaphragm. And he was stuck there screaming. So fortunately, unbelievably, this dog was fine. He survived. He's a schnauzer, tough little cookie. But that was another big eye opener because you would think in your own yard, how could there be a metal spike that you never saw and your kids are out playing and all because you don't expect things to be there. It was probably you know, something left over from an old fence post. And because it was a little wooded in that area, nobody saw it. It looked like just a tree branch or you couldn't even see it. So please be careful, be aware and be conscious that you should be out looking for anything, you know, even especially after a storm. And then, you know, maybe once a week, just walk around, you know, walk around, check things out, make sure your fence is good. Make sure you don't have a groundhog trying to burrow under the fence because, your dog can burrow back out of the fence the same way the groundhog burrows under the fence to come in. 
So I want you to really kind of be aware of that. Um, another thing tied into being careful with your dogs is, you know, if you bring in your dog in the car with you, and if you're going to be gone more than like a moment, and I don't even mean five, 10 minutes, please don't bring your dog. Or they have these great temperature monitors, which I have one of those too in each of my vehicles. Actually, I have two of them because I don't trust them. And these things are great. You can have the ambient humidity, the temperature, and you can have all kinds of settings. And what's cool about the different settings is you can set it, like in the winter, you can set it, let's say, to go if it's below 45. Now, if my dogs come with me and they're in the car, I always have a fan on that works independently of the vehicle. But this little gadget, and it works, it's great. It works like a jet pack would. You just have to have a monthly subscription for, I think it's 10 bucks for, uh, for the monthly subscription for it. But what's great about it is you can set it whatever temperature you want. So let's say you're out in the field and, you know, you're going to be out with your dog and, you know, you're out in the field or whatever. You might want to set it, if you're farther away, you might want to set it at, you know, 78 degrees, right? Because if you set it for 80 degrees or 85 degrees, by the time you get back, you know, 5, 10, 20 minutes later, uh, you could have a problem already. So, but these things are great because they actually are able to check the temperature. And again, I have two of them. They, you can set it to have an alarm for emailing, for phone call, a buzzer, a text message, and just make sure your phone is on you. Because this way, if there is a problem and if, let's say, the temperature goes very high quickly or gets a little higher than you want it to be, you know. So that's very handy, especially if you've got errands to run and let's say you have to take your dog because, you know, you can't leave the dog in your house because, I don't know, they're, you're getting work done. But whatever it is, make sure that you have a way of checking to see how that dog is and what the temperature is inside the vehicle. Or better yet, take them you know, a doggy daycare or something, one that doesn't use squirt bottles and yell at them and have 17-year-old kids who don't know what they're doing squirting the dogs or zapping them. But there are plenty of really good places, and there are plenty of decent places now that aren't crazy expensive. The key here for everybody is treat your dog as if he's a toddler. Even if your dog's 10, 12 years old, treat your dog like a toddler. If you wouldn't leave a toddler alone, and you probably aren't wise to leave your dog alone. Now, once your dog gets a little older and you trust him after he's about two, two and a half years old, usually most dogs are fine. Some dogs are fine at a year and a half. Some dogs are fine at a year. But I will share quickly something with one of my dogs, one of my grand champion show dogs. Um, actually, my boy is, uh, he's wonderful. He's a very chill Wonderful stud dog, wonderful show dog, and my service dog. Well, he was the most perfect puppy, never chewed on anything, didn't have a single accident ever, till he was about 10 months old. And at 10 to 11 months old, for one month, literally like clockwork, from 10 to 11 months old, and I remember it was the month of October, and he was born the very end of January, so the month of October, it was like October 2nd, Till November 1st, which was a very memorable day for me. For that month, he chewed my furniture. 
He chewed the doors. He chewed the moldings on the windows. He chewed the moldings on the door. And he had plenty of toys, but because he was so perfect, he was like literally perfect, never did anything wrong his entire life. So we got a little bold and brazen and we said, all right, you know, he can walk around. He's, you know, he's fine. He's well behaved. He's not destroying the house. He's not getting into things. So let's trust him. Well, fortunately, we were only gone a couple of hours for lunch and uh, went to the Chinese buffet, which that's probably a thing of the past now. And we came home and I believe pretty much every single piece of furniture we had had two marks on it and was destroyed. I didn't get mad at the dog, didn't get upset with him, wasn't his fault. I wouldn't have left the toddler home. I shouldn't have left him alone. I should have put him in the crate, even though he didn't need one for the day before. He needed one that day. So even though your dog is super well-behaved and he's not in a crate, doesn't mean that tomorrow he's going to be as good as he was yesterday. And just like investments, when you invest money, um, it's always the disclaimer, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future results. I use that one all the time. Past performance, the fact that he was so perfect every day for his entire, you know, eight months of life, nine months of life, uh, is no guarantee of future results that he was going to be perfect every day. And it was like literally one month. And then November 1st, we, you know, started giving a little time when we were supervising and from that point until currently, and he's already like six years old, he has not had one problem. But we're very lucky. It was just furniture. How about if he had eaten pills or anything else? So I know a lot of people do not like to use crates. I'm not a fan. I don't have all my dogs in crates all the time. But my young ones, and the, when we go out and we're going to be gone and we're concerned, I will allow the dog to go in the crate. I mean, listen, it's like you, you tell your kids go to your room as a punishment, and they're like, okay, I go, got my Xbox up there. I'm going to go play, you know, World of Warcraft. I'm going to go, you know, watch TV. I'm going to go watch a video. Is that really a punishment? No. So unless you make your dog's crate a punishment, it's not going to be seen as a punishment for your dog. Give, you can give them fun things to do. Just make sure that there's nothing that's going to break away. No edible treats particularly unless they're, it's like a cookie or something or a Kong. But do not put things like, you know, greenies, which are garbage anyway. Don't put things like that. Um, you don't want the wheat and the greenies. But even the ones that are not wheat, um, you know, you have a problem because those things can break off. And I had my willow who won at Westminster, one at our national specialty, one at Bucks and Trenton, which are two of the biggest dog shows that are in the country. She wanted all those. But two weeks before Westminster, which which in February before the pandemic started, um, two weeks before, I thought she was going to die. She would not eat. She was vomiting. She wasn't defecating. She was so, so sick. Um, wasn't drinking, wasn't eating, nothing. And about Four or five days later, after we x-rayed her, we took her to the vet. Nobody could figure out what it was. We didn't know. She vomited up a greenie. And let me tell you, the greenie, and it was the smaller one, the small to mid-sized one, wasn't even a huge one. She had bitten about a half of it or a third of it 
um, bit a chunk off and somehow swallowed it, which is very unusual for Ridgebacks. It's not like a lab or golden or these doodle things that, I mean, they will literally eat anything. A lot of other breeds and mixes of mixes will as well. And it was, it swelled up and it was literally, oh gosh, three, four times the size that it went down. And she threw it up, started feeling better within a day was drinking and eating normally again and one at Westminster. So, you know, I, I try to teach people, please, 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 please be careful when you put dogs or let dogs unattended. Again, would you leave your toddler alone with a bunch of grapes? Probably not, because your toddler could swallow the grape whole, the grape could be lodged, and you could come back to, I don't even want to go there, but you could come back to a disaster. So it is so important to make sure that your dog is not going to have anything he can choke on. Make sure it's nothing that, you know, you leave things on the counter, you left your pills, you left your heart pills out, you forgot, and, you know, your dog grabs the pill container and eats some of the pills. You come back, again, to a disaster, to a dead dog. And I've seen people who have done that, and it is not something I ever want anything to ever happen like that to any of you or to myself. So remember, if you wouldn't leave a toddler alone in that situation, you probably shouldn't leave your dog alone. And remember, your toddler, there's a limit to what your toddler can reach or your toddler can chew on. But a dog, you know, hey, they can jump up on the counter and grab stuff off the counter. They can turn the stove on and off, believe it or not. I've seen that where a dog will jump up to lick a pot or a pan clean that's on the stove. And the dog hits it, and it doesn't quite go on. And uh, I know there was one, I can't remember where it was, but I know there was a house that blew up, and they believed that the dog had jumped up on the stove, had basically turned on the pilot light, but had not uh, been able to um, turn turn it on enough where it was actually on, and there was an explosion. So you got to be careful, you know, and I know during Hurricane Sandy, um, I had my dog and um, my dog, Charlie, who's a plot hound, she's a great dog, Um, and she, you know, because we were doing all kinds of stuff with Hurricane Sandy, obviously, trying to, you know, I was, you know, getting, rescuing animals and dogs and cats that were all over the place that were all running off, Um, and during Hurricane Sandy... We had no power for about two weeks, and when the power went on, our big giant refrigerator, commercial refrigerator, wouldn't go back on. And I thought, gee, that's really weird that the refrigerator isn't working. Well, I look, and what had happened? Charlie had gnawed through, chewed through a 220 volt. So we're talking that big double one. That's, it's not even a three-prong with, with the uh, safety on it for the ground. That's kind of the rounded part. It wasn't polarized. Guess what it was? It was one of those big, ginormous ones that gets plugged into the wall with a special outlet because it uses so much. If we had not had a power outage during Hurricane Sandy and Charlie had done that, she would have been dead. No question. So... Consider yourself blessed and lucky that that's never happened to you. But again, past performance is no guarantee of future results. But I will promise you that I will be right back with the next segment 
from Shelter Dog to Service Dog. So we'll be right back. Stay tuned. BBS Radio. Welcome back to the show. Today we're going to wind up talking about equipment for your dog. Now, a lot of people try to use all kinds of different colors and different kinds of styles of things. If you want people to not believe that you have a service dog, and it's, and I'm assuming that the, you guys are all trying to do it the right way because you're listening to me, you want to do it the right way, please don't use hot pink harnesses. Don't have leashes and patches and things that say, if you deny me access, I'm going to sue you because you're making yourself look like an imbecile and you're making it look bad for those of us who have legitimate, real service dogs. Try to remember when you have a service dog, whether it's a legit one or not, you have to make sure that you're thinking of the other people like myself and like some of the kids that we give service dogs to or veterans. You have to realize that when your ill-behaved dog is, you know, acting up or is jumping or is barking or trying to bite someone or is aggressive to another dog because you didn't think there was going to be another dog in the airport or in the store or in the supermarket. Guess what? There was. And now you look dumb. But what also happens is you are ruining it for those of us who have dogs like our Merlin's case dogs that have had 1,500 to 2,000 hours of training and have had three to six months additional public access that are perfect. And if your dog is not perfect, then it's fine. Take them to Home Depot. Take them to, you know, PetSmart or Petco. But take them in and don't let them socialize with dogs. You can have his vest on. But please stop having, and, and for God's sakes, if your dog is a service dog, it should not need a muzzle. If it does, it's not a service dog. I don't care what you say. It can be a great dog for your home, but it should not be out in public if it's aggressive at all. Because, again, if it's not housebroken, if it's, you know, aggressive, if it's barking out of control, if it's not under control by you, then obviously you need help. And I don't mind helping people. I love when people reach out. You can actually reach out to me um, at... Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll post it on the uh, BBS site, um, but you can reach out to me and I'll be happy to help you. You know, you can actually um, send it to uh, Merlin's kids. We're happy to field those questions. It'll go to my assistant. And um, if it's a question that they can't answer, uh, they will reach out to you and uh, reach out to me and we'll even be able to talk about it. I'm happy to help people. But don't start your dog using food rewards. Don't start your dog using things that are argumentative. If I had a store and somebody came in and I owned the store, retail or restaurant, and somebody came in with a patch that said, deny me access and I'm going to sue you, I would tell them, what tasks or, jo- or jobs is your dog trained to perform? Yeah? Okay. And because it's, I know right off the bat, is this a service dog required because of disability? Of course not, because you're looking for a lawsuit. It's just not right to do that, and it's very, very, um, just, I don't know how to say it, stupid to try to incite people. 
we want those of us in the legit service dog community, we want it to become easier for us to become accessible, right? We want to be able to go, go in and have our service dog and not make a big deal. The worst thing you can do is make a big deal because somebody did something that you didn't agree with, all right? So if somebody denies access, like to one of our Merlin's kids' dogs, oh, I go nuts on them, and we have, you know, pro bono attorneys that will work with us and will work with our recipients, and we will fight. But if you go in with a dog who is too young, ill-behaved, and by the way, any organization or any trainer who says, oh, I'll certify. Well, there is no certification. We, quote, unquote, certify our dogs. We credential our dogs. We give them credentials to say what they have completed and what tasks they are able to do, but we do not certify. And that's us, and we've been doing this longer than almost anybody in the industry other than the guide dog agencies and a couple of the hearing places. But if... We're not putting, giving them a certification card. You know, most places when you guys go in, and I'm, I apologize because many of you, most of you don't do this, but I'm sure you've all seen somebody out there who decides they're going to get an ID. Well, my favorite service dog ID I've ever seen, and you can go on MerlinsKids.org or you can go on our Facebook page, Merlin's Kids Service Dogs, and you can actually look up, it is called, the dog's name is Jar of Nutella. And you say, what a dumb name for a dog. The picture is an actual Jar of Nutella. Not a dog named Jar of Nutella. The name of the, the service animal is Jar of Nutella. It is a picture of a Jar of Nutella with a little fake service vest on it. Well, if anybody presents an ID especially if you're dumb enough to do, you know, give people $20, $100, $200, and they give you a vest that costs them 3 bucks uh, on Alibaba, buying a 1,000 of them at a clip. If you're dumb enough to do that, just let me tell you why that is going to be bad. First of all, now every place that you show that fake ID is going to ask for an ID, thinking it's a real one, from every legit service dog, so that when our service dogs go in, when guide dogs go in, when legitimate, reputable agencies, when our dogs go in with their recipient family and their handler, all of a sudden, the person who is allowing or denying access to you, that individual is going to say, well, the last person came and they had, you know, they had all the ID. And it ruins it for everybody else. And that is not okay. We don't want you to ruin it for everybody else. And that's exactly what happens. You ruin it for everybody else because you're showing a fake ID. And because you show a fake ID, they assume that it's a real ID. They don't know. They're not, they're not the ones getting scammed. Actually, you're the one scamming. So now they ask for that of another family. And now that family shouldn't have to show it because it's illegal under the Americans with Disabilities Act to show or to ask to show any kind of identification for the dog. You don't even have to have a service vest or ID tag or anything identifying that dog. 
we at Merlin's Kids require our people to have a service vest on as an identification, and we use a particular color that is the legit color that pretty much every legit organization uses. And when I see a hot pink or a purple polka dot or a leopard one, I know that it's either not real or that somebody in the higher-ups in the organization who trained that dog was not very clear with the handler. But I know we had one time where somebody put a patch and it said on our with our Merlin's Kids patch, if you deny me access, I will sue you. And I blasted that family. I said, get that patch off of that or I'm going to rescind your service dog rights because you are argumentative and especially that it has my organization on it. Oh, heck no. You do not put something like that on it. We don't want to argue. We're trying to just educate people. We want people to understand that a service dog is well-behaved. The service dog is not going to be a difficulty. The service dog is required because it's the same thing as a wheelchair or a walker or a pair of eyeglasses. It helps to mitigate a disability. But if you start an argument, you are ruining it for every other legitimate service dog that's out there. So please don't do that. Stop being selfish. Don't do things like that. Because if you do do that, um, you're going to end up having um, a a lot of problems. And uh, I'm going to be one of the problems that you wind up with. So we talked a little bit about it. What kind of equipment should you have, um, you know, and what kind of things should you be doing, um, you know, in order to um, help your dog? Well, first thing is, if you have a young puppy or or an energetic dog, and I've had this with my horses because I'm a canine and equine behaviorist, um, and I'm also a rabbit show judge, so I've judged rabbit shows, horse shows, and dog shows. And let me tell you something. The best horses, and I've also had racehorses, thoroughbred racehorses that have won all kinds of great races and money and all kinds of accolades, The best thing you can do if you have a young dog and you start walking that dog is put your harness over your shoulder. Do not start out walking your dog trying to train him, especially when they're younger or if it's a day that they just have too much energy. Leave your service vest over your shoulder. Do not put on your accessories. Do not start out that you're going to be training. I'd walk that dog until he's settled down and you can stop. You can put his equipment on. You can, you know, so to speak, saddle him up. And then once he is calm, once he is relaxing and he is behaving himself, you can put his equipment on. You don't want to start out. Remember, it's like if you go to church in jeans, you can get away with it, right? But if you go to church and you're all dressed up and then you go and you play in, the, in your clothing and you get all muddy, you're going to get in trouble and you're going to look dumb, right? So you don't want to do that. You don't want to basically put the dog in his work clothes when he's still in play mode. Wait until the dog is out of play mode and then you can put on his vest. Then you can start asking him things. Now, another thing is people are always asking, well, what kind of equipment is right? Well, it really depends on what type of skills or tasks you're training this dog to do. 
If you're using a dog for a mobility dog and somebody is six feet tall, I sure hope you're not going to use a toy poodle. Um, I mean, I don't know how they could do mobility. I mean, maybe they could pick things up for you and jump or throw them at you, but you have to choose the right dog and size or expected size, um, which is why it's so great to get a dog in a shelter. Although I don't want to even go there with you guys because, you know, every dog pretty much that's in a shelter was raised from a puppy by somebody who thought they knew how to train a dog and didn't. So if you get a dog or you get a puppy, make sure you see the parents. And if you're getting a mixed breed, like a doodle thing, please do not assume, don't go buying one for a mobility dog or don't go buying one that you're hoping is going to be 15 pounds because if it's a toy poodle and a golden, that can range anything from a 15, 20-pound dog up to an 80, 90-pound dog. You never know what you're going to get. That's why I said sometimes getting an adult dog, a young adult is easier, or getting an actual well-bred AKC show breeder of merit dog because you know how big they're going to be. I know when I sell a puppy as a grand champion, best in show winning breeder, um, I know I can look at that puppy and it's not the size of the paws. People are always so wrong about that. It doesn't matter how big, how wide across the puppy's feet are because that's just your bone structure. So think about this. Think about a greyhound. It's a big, tall dog. He has very tiny feet, like tiny, tiny feet. Then think of a basset hound. Basset hounds have big, ginormous, fat, wide feet. And they're definitely not big dogs. But the bone structure, like if somebody's got a small or medium or larger build, is just that. It's your bone structure. It has very little to do with how tall you're going to get. So if you want to know how big your dog is going to get, you're going to look at the distance from the top of the dog's metatarsals, which is kind of the top of his foot. Easiest way to do this is to look at your fingers and put your fingers on on a table and then put your elbow up to your side as if it's a dog's leg. So your tarsals are your fingers or your phalanges. Then the metatarsals, are the area between your fingers, like basically, and your wrist. If you look at that distance, that space on most dogs, the distance from the top of your finger where it meets your hand to the wrist bone, and then you say roughly twice that is going to be the cannon bone, which is your forearm. So you know, and that'll be at about four months, you can look at that, and you, I can tell within a half an inch of how big a dog at three to four months it's going to be. And I can even do it when they're younger if they're my line. But you can pretty much breed anything to anything. And especially if they're pretty diverse sizes or breeds or even lines within a breed, you have no idea what you're going to get. Um, a lovely lady, I she's a client. She had um, two doodle things. I don't even know what kind of doodle things they were, but they were doodle things. She bought the first one, and it was like 70 pounds. And she said, oh, you know, he's a good dog. And he wasn't a bad dog. He was dumb as a stump, but he was, you know, he was a well-be- you know, well-mannered. I won't say well-behaved, but well-mannered dog, um, good temperament. 
So from that standpoint, that was good. But also, she said, oh, I don't want another 70-pound dog, but I'd like to buy another dog, so I'm going to buy a mini. So I said, I explained to her, I said, you know, listen, you know, this is a combination. They're all mutts, or as the Golden Retriever Society or Golden Retriever Breeders of America, uh, the Golden Club, they said, these are mongrels. Well, it sounds mean, but yeah, they kind of are. You don't know what you're getting when you buy a mixed-breed dog or a puppy mill dog because they don't have any standards that they're breeding to. A grand champion show breeder who wins and who goes to Westminster and puts a lot of money and time in and will never, ever make money doing this because you don't if you're good at it. But if this breeder will be able to tell you this dog will be between 85 and 90 pounds, between 25 and 25 and a half inches tall. And we will be right. And there are a lot of really great breeders, AKC show breeders, uh, breeders of merit, not just regular AKC because that doesn't mean anything. It means that when you have a show breeder or a breeder of merit because we're the ones who run all the genetic tests, we're the ones who want those dogs to be good. And a dog who has a lot of champions in a show line is the best thing in the world, not just because you're going to get good confirmation and good health, but you're going to have good temperament because if an AKC show breeder of merit winds up with a dog who bites or growls at a judge, guess what? That dog's not going to be a champion. He's going to get disqualified. And I know somebody who bought from a decent breeder and got disqualified. That's it. Done. Because the dog tried to bite, actually bit somebody at a show. Um, so if the dog has a good temperament, because it needs that good temperament as well, then that person will breed that dog. If that dog doesn't have a good temperament, a reputable breeder like myself, we will not breed that dog. I've never had a bad temperament, but I'm crazy about that and making sure that the father is nice, the mother's nice, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, everybody all along the line, prior litters, everything else. So it's just something to look for and look at and, you know, learn from. Just learn from it, okay? So unfortunately, as always happens, time ran out. And uh, I'm going to have to stop the show right now, but I want you to tune in Next Friday, we've got some really cool stuff we'll be talking about. And, um, you know, you just never know what's going to come out of my mouth. And I think that's what makes the show so much fun. I don't put up with garbage. I don't tell somebody something because they want to hear it. I'm going to be very honest and forthright and direct with you. And I'm going to tell you very honest, direct, and forthrightly. Have a wonderful, safe, healthy weekend. Take good care of your family. Appreciate what we have right now because we may not have it for very long. Enjoy your weekend. Be good to animals. Be good to people. Be kind. Be kind. Please be kind. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.